You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey, everyone. Tim McMaster here with Thomas Harding, our MLB.com Rockies reporter on the Rockies podcast again this week. And Thomas, uh, about the same stuff that we've been talking about. We're going to get into some other stuff later in the podcast. The caravan's going on for the Rockies right now. So they're around the state and even crossing state borders to uh, visit some markets and, and get out the word about this talented team. We'll also talk about Larry Walker and his Fight to get into the Hall of Fame, but first let's start with uh, news and notes, which is, like I said, a whole lot of nothing right now. The question is, we keep saying that there's still some work to be done, whether it's an outfielder or first baseman or somebody who can do both, um, but that's not necessarily the case, right? Should we stop with that and maybe think this team maybe is done? Well, it's possible that this team is done. I mean, and in my checking around, what I'm hearing is that Beyond monitoring the market, the Rockies have been extremely quiet since signing the three relief, pitcher, relief pitchers, Wade Davis, Brian Shaw, and Jake McGee. Um, they could use another corner bat. When I look at that lineup right now, I don't know that I can put a guy in the third position in that lineup. However, they do have a couple of prospects, and I think that uh, if you look at what they did with the pitching last year where they decided that they were going to go from within, it's not outside the realm of possibility they stick with what they have. Ryan McMahon had a very good year in the minors last year, and that was in double-A and triple-A. So you go into this year, and are you ready to either turn over first base to him or have a share at first base? Like, uh, say, an Ian Desmond could play some first base when Ryan McMahon is not in the lineup, and then go out into the outfield on other days. When you look at the outfield situation, Desmond could fit in in left field with Gerardo Parra in right, or you could leave Parra in left if David Dahl comes back from his injury that kept him out all of last season. That was an impact bad in 2016, but he had that rib issue um, last year that never allowed him back into the majors. He was doing well on minor league rehab, but he aggravated that it, it showed up in the form of a back spasm. So what if David Dahl is in right field, say, and Gerardo Parra is in left, and, uh, and at first base is Ian Desmond, but you're easing a Ryan McMahon into the lineup, and then you can move Desmond around as the season goes. So it is possible that they're done. I'm not saying that they are, but with the market moving so slowly and so deliberately, you could end up with anything. You could end up with the Rockies going from within, or you could end up with the Rockies ending up with an um, impact bet that you probably didn't expect. So anything can happen in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and, and we're down to the point where it really is the next couple of weeks because spring yeah. training, basically less than a month away, teams need to get things going, and I'm sure the players at this point are kind of getting antsy with no home yet for the upcoming season. All right. The Rockies have been on the road, as I mentioned, the caravan traveling around Colorado, uh, even making it down to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, a lot of players, and, and even Bud Black, have been on the caravan. You've made a number of stops with them. How's it been going so far? This is a great way for the team to just kind of visit um, outside of, of Denver and, and get the word out about this team. Well, I'll tell you what, the enthusiasm that I, um, that I saw, I mean, I feel like there's more than the caravan's past. And I was talking to John Gray last night, and John had been to Albuquerque, spent a full day there making trips, and then also to Colorado Springs yesterday, and in Denver today. And he was saying that 
what, what it's done for him is let him know that this franchise reaches far beyond Denver. That's one of the reasons they called it the Colorado Rockies. You know, when they came in, there were no teams in the mountain time zone, and they really put forth an effort. And, I mean, their, their reach goes into Salt Lake City, where I think the games are on all the time. So being able to see that really made a difference for Gray. And today I spent some time with Kyle Freeland, um, a group of Rockies, Freeland included, went to Home Elementary in Denver, which is where Freeland went to elementary school. His mom is still a teacher there. I even met the music teacher there, which, which was just fascinating because I found out that Kyle is the second most fav- famous person from Home Elementary in Denver. The first is Don Cheadle. He came through there a while ago, did musicals there. They tried to put Kyle in a musical, but as the, as the um, teacher said, uh, his, his voice wasn't what it is now. She's like, oh, if I knew his voice was going to be so deep, who knows? I would have worked with him more. So it, it, was a, it was a good experience being around. The kids were really excited about it. It's Rocky's Day around here in Denver. Um, I'm seeing more young people getting involved with this team. I think the trip to the playoffs last year really made a difference. Yeah, that's cool. Great trivia as well. Good stuff here on the podcast. All right. One more thing I want to talk to you about, Thomas, um, we can get into a little bit, is Larry Walker. He's on the Hall of Fame ballot again. This is his eighth year on the ballot. He's at 40.7% right now with about half of those ballots tabulated. Um, 2017, he finished at 21.9%. So it doesn't look good for Larry Walker right now. But it's a guy, it's such a fascinating case, I think, for the Hall of Fame. Because you look at the numbers, and, and obviously tremendous, 383 career home runs. He could kind of do everything, defense, offense. He could run the bases despite being a big guy. Um, but it seems like Coors Field just kills him. And when people see, you hear the name Larry Walker, you immediately say, oh, he was just good because he played at Coors Field. I don't think that's fair. No, it's not fair. I mean, because I think that what, what people don't get, and even people that I'm close to in this game, what they don't get about Coors Field, I'll, I'll, I'll first attack that factor, is while it is a place that can inflate your offensive numbers, there is no doubt about that. A couple of things happen. Games tend to last a lot longer there, and it's an atmosphere where people train for endurance events in Colorado. But doing this every day, it, take, it takes a beating. I mean, the Rockies have changed so many things about how and when they travel, where they stay in hotels, how they eat, all because of this atmosphere. So you're going in and out of this atmosphere, so it weighs on you physically. There are certain injuries that can crop up. Then after that, you, you play 81 games here, but you play 81 games elsewhere. And I think what people think is, oh, you go to Denver, you're playing on the moon. Then you come back from the moon, and you're in the Earth's atmosphere, but you just snap back into it as if you're anywhere else. This team has to adjust to how the ball breaks when they go on the road. So what I think what a lot of people say is they'll look at the road number and say, oh, that's the true player. That's as unusual as playing at home because you never really get used to one atmosphere. So um, I think that Coors Field has been a bit unfair. It's funny, too, during Walker's career, and, um, I, and I came in the 2000 season, he was still a dominant player in the league. I mean, there were people who put him kind of right around the, you know, in the same category as a Barry Bonds as a 5-2 player. But, you know, 
the only thing that, that bothered me at that time was he did have a lot of injuries that kept him off the field. Um, I remember once talking to him about the Hall of Fame, and also that was during the era where guys took, what was it, certain supplements, and he was never going to have the power numbers of those guys. He's like, hey, I may not get in the Hall of Fame without a ticket, but I think since his career has ended and since we've seen some of, some of the controversies, people took a fresh look at Larry Walker, and I do think that there are people who've taken a very smart statistical look at Larry Walker. And, you know, here in Denver, we had a Hall of Fame-type player under our nose and probably didn't appreciate him as much at the time as we do in retrospect. People that want to feel even better about Larry Walker being a Hall of Fame-type guy, you should read Joe Posnanski's article on MLB.com. Uh, he did some research on baseball reference, Thomas. He looked up the top 100 all-time guys in batting <coughs> runs, fielding runs, and base running runs. And the interesting thing about those lists is most of the time guys are on that list, one of those lists, even Hall of Famers, one of those lists. There are actually only three players all-time that are on all three lists. Willie Mays, he was pretty good. Barry Bonds, obviously a Hall of Famer, if not for the PEDs. And Larry Walker. Um, so Mays, Bonds, and Walker. It's an amazing list, and it just goes to show what an all-around player Larry Walker was. I'll have to say this. As far as, and this is, there, are, there are a couple of things that have nothing to do with the stats that put Larry Walker in a very great exclusive category for me. And these are eye test things or ear test things even. Is that when I, I would go down and watch batting practice and hear batting practice, the ball came off the bat from off Larry Walker's bat. The only other guys that I can compare it to were Mike Piazza, three, Mike Piazza, Mark McGuire, and Barry Bonds. The explosion, the way that he hit, and he carried that in the games with him. The other thing that I will always appreciate is Larry Walker running the bases. There is, um, it's textbook, but it's power also because this is a big man, you know, a 235, 240-pound guy who ran the bases so smoothly and so efficiently and with so much power and speed. Those are things that, um, you know, when you watch a guy's career, those always stick with you. It's not all about the numbers. I've never been one guy that will watch a game and then pull out my slide rule and my calculator and computer and say, oh, this is good. You know, sometimes you just have to watch it, feel it, and see it. So for Walker, eight years on the ballot now. He's got two more chances after this. We'll see how that goes. But certainly a guy that is fascinating guy in the discussion and uh, worth at least looking at, looking at the numbers, looking what he did, and consider him as a Hall of Famer. This has been MLB.com Extras, our Rockies edition. For Thomas Harding, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.